1: We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. We're going medieval today. Alina, tell us about it.
3: We have a returning person with us today. Today we've got Gabby Story. You might remember her for a couple of weeks back. She's a medievalist and historian and she's recently passed Aviva and she's now Dr. Story. Congratulations. Woo! Woo! You. Oh, you! So
2: before you did Badass Queens, you did Matilda, didn't you? And yeah. Eleanor. Yes. Awesome. What are you going to do today? We are doing that. We're what doing we Badass say? Queens today. Oh, boom. More badass medieval queens. People loved that though. That was so popular.
4: Thank you. But well, um, yeah, so today I was kind of thinking we'd delve onto another bit of badass queens and looking at when they get to actually properly rule. Yes, so we're doing regent
2: queens, aren't we?
4: Yes. Yeah. we are doing some
2: queening. Queening. Some Queen. actual ruling.
4: Yeah absolutely so it's all kind of like delving into when the king's either not there or when he's disappeared for a bit and yeah we're gonna kind of delve into what happens when the king's not about basically.
2: Ooh. So before we start I always say like we've got lots of uh, people in America that might not and it's not that Americans are stupid but you've never had a royal family so can you just explain um, to the Americans and others what is a regent who gets to be one why do they exist Um and always, is it always like the same person that's recruited to be a Regent?
4: Okay, so a Regent is a person who's nominated either by... The ruler, so in this case, typically the king or the government, to rule on behalf of a monarch. So in this case, the monarch could be incapacitated, so they're not mentally or physically fit to rule, which we kind of saw with Henry the VI um, during the Wars of the Roses because he had periods of like mental instability. Um... <laughs> I, <didn't>, I always <laughs> laugh my head off it. I
2: know it's bad. So they think now it was catatonic schizophrenia, don't they? But they basically, yeah. he was in a trance at some of the battles and they wheeled him out on a chair and just put some soldiers around him so they could. Say he was there, but yeah, yeah, Bless him. yeah. I um, like that his wife presented him with a baby
4: in that period, and no yeah. one thought, hmm, nothing of it at all. Yeah, no. so that's uh one instance where you could have a region. You might also have it if you've got like a minority, so a child king, which we have a couple of times in the medieval period, but. Regarding the actual term of regent and regency, it doesn't come into common use until the 14th century. Before that, the language is a bit vague as to what these people were doing. Um, how, what arrangements were in place? It's not very formalised and there's not much documentation kind of saying, are they acting as a regent? Uh, what's the actual process that's going on here for the people who are acting on behalf of the male ruler in the medieval period? And it's also quite interesting to like know how the arrangements are different depending on the position of the monarch. So, for example, if you know the king's going to be travelling, if they're going to be ruling elsewhere, it's a bit simpler to organise that because the king's got his complementors, so to speak, he's mm. in full capacity. Whereas decisions that need to be made on behalf of a child king or a monarch who's not um, in full capacity could be beset with like factional disputes and b- rival parties kind of vying for control.
2: Catherine Parr did it for Henry VIII, didn't she? When he buggered off to Boulogne when he was old and very nearly dead. Um, He sort of nominally said left her in charge, didn't he?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So she was a bit different to the ones I'm going to be speaking about in that she has um, the support of the council. There's a kind of full support of the government around her, for example. So she's not just doing it solely. I think the last time
2: we had it, was it George IV? being regent for george the third when he yes. was non-compass
4: mentors yes yeah absolutely uh i was gonna bring him up a little bit later as kind of a modern reference because i'm aware you've probably got quite a lot of viewers um and listeners who are much more a with kind of the modern monarchy than they might be with some of the medieval ones
2: yeah but we have to change that we have to we have to get more medieval history on history Hat, don't we Elena?
3: we do do you know as you guys are just talking now I'm kind of thinking my view of a regent was always this really powerful woman and she's taken over from her child and she's going to throw him away because she wants all the power and it's all of this drama and I'm so wrong
2: <laughs> It's not a rare occurrence to be fair
4: uh, um, It is. You, I will get onto this in like a moment it's really interesting um, who is Pick to be a regent so for example there's differences um, and this really varies like nationally but it would primarily be a close member of the king's family so sometimes it'd be his mother sometimes it could be his wife but it might also be a powerful uncle there'd be members of the government could also be appointed as a regent or a regency council so sometimes it's all vested in one person sometimes it's vested in like a group of people
2: So you sort of mentioned already, didn't you, that when when there's a need for it, so if the king or queen is uh, incompetent or ill or out of the country or if you have a child, any others?
4: Uh, No, those are the main instances when you have a regent. So it's going to be when the king is either physically or mentally not there that sounds like they, they're they disengaged a bit well they it, were. So. We, were Henry VI <laughs> yes like that but it was yeah
2: George III slightly different but
4: yeah absolutely so I mean as you've kind of pointed out with Henry VIII so he's away fighting so that's an instance where he's fully able to appoint someone to rule in his absence and kind of sticking on that Henry VIII theme so for instance when he dies he sets up a regency council of 16 members to rule um for edward the sixth mm. however this council nominate edward's uncle edward seymour the duke of somerset as protector which grants somerset these greater powers to rule as an individual regent supported by the council rather than having this power sharing basis so that kind of goes to show that how flexible these arrangements can be at times so although a council might be set up there will still be Uh, someone in place who could have overarching power
3: so the bottom line is it was never the same thing twice really
4: yeah pretty much so some rulers occasionally do have a partner who they co-rule with and trust to act as the regent for the entirety of their reign but some regencies are very dependent on the balance of power between factions, which allow other people to come to the fore and take place as regents. So, as we see with back to the sixth reign, it does jump up and down a bit between who's got the kind of like control of the regency power. So, uh, regency William Council. and Mary
2: is that an instance of ruling together?
4: Yes, yeah. So, that's a really good example of co rulership. So, that sharing of power and uh, not necessarily ones appointed just as a regent to have kind of overarching power but a decision to kind of rule separately in places so how do queens come into all of this so queens would come into this because they could and were nominated as regents across the medieval period however it's a bit more difficult to identify when this happens for several reasons so like I mentioned, there's a lack of formal arrangements, there's a lack of documentation, which makes it difficult to identify when a queen's chosen. And interestingly, when the documentation does survive, the vocab used is often genders male, such as magister. There's not a female equivalent to that. And the titles and roles are associated with a male regent and not a queen consort or a queen mother. So it's a bit more difficult to unpick when the queens actually do appear. Um, so a queen mother would be expected to kind of take on more of a kind of caregiving like guardian type role whereby she'd look after the king's personal sphere and arrangements and not necessarily rule however there are several instances in England and France for example Eleanor of Aquitaine who we get onto in a bit and Blanche of Castile we can really clearly see that queen mothers can work as effective rulers on behalf of their sons they do come into the political sphere and that's regardless of whether they're a child king or an absent adult ruler. And really interestingly, like both Blanche Castile and Eleanor of Aquitaine are chosen by their sons to act as regents when their sons are adults and went on crusades. So it clearly shows that the sons do trust their mothers to be able to act as on their behalf as a regent. But it doesn't have to go to a male relative or to a council, or the queens very much can come into this sphere and rule for them.
3: So was it an unusual thing to have a mother or a wife as a regent?
4: It's not unusual. It's not entirely common. It's a bit like having a regnant queen, so a ruling queen in this period. Um, People are aware it's a possibility. I would say it's more uncommon to have a mother rule than a wife, as there's more opportunities for the king to require his co-ruling queen, his consort, to rule in his stead whilst he's absent or for a wife to take power during a time of incapacitation than that is for a mother to intervene. Uh, so kind of sticking with the theme of like Richard and Eleanor. So Richard choosing Eleanor to rule rather than his wife would be seen as a slight change from the norm. However, given Eleanor has so much experience in rulership, this put her in good stead to be an informal regent whilst Richard's on crusade. And Richard does leave behind a regency council, was set up in government for them to rule. But it's really clear that Eleanor was quite heavily involved in the 1190s for ruling.
2: So we will come on to Eleanor more, but yeah. let's talk about famous regents in history um, that we should know about, like household names.
4: I've Eleanor and Blanche would be the two who I think are most noticeable, definitely for the medieval period. Mm-hmm. Another really good example is William Marshall, who is part of the Triumvirate, the Regency Council for Henry III, when he's a child king. Isabeau of Bavaria is another really interesting one. She rules on behalf of Charles the Sixth when he undergoes his episodes of psychosis. In the 14th century mm-hmm. and then I was also going to bring up kind of George IV that's not a familiar name for a lot of people because he acts as Prince Regent on behalf of his father from 1811 to about 1820. So, so let's start with Blanche. Yes Blanche of Castile rules as a Regent on two occasions so she rules during the minority reign of her son Louis VII so from 1226 to 1234 so whilst he's still a child and then she rules again as regent from 1258 until 1252 when he is away on crusade so I think that's a really interesting uh, development it's a really interesting turn of events because it's not Usual that you would act as a regent for a child king, and then again, uh, whilst they're an adult, you would kind of expect that Louis would have appointed his wife to rule in his stead or to set up a regency council or to do something slightly different than appoint his mother again. So, and she wielded quite a lot of power whilst she was doing so. She's known as quite a forthright character and rarely make sure that France is run effectively whilst Louis's absent
3: who was next on our list
4: William Marshall let's
3: that- do you know why because I can I forget reminding me names I can't remember unless they're written down in front of me so um, <laughs> I will be asking you who is next <laughs> so William Marshall is our next one because you've just said it tell us more about him
4: Yep, so William Marshall's quite famous for his soldiering, so for his um, military activities, for his skills as a leader and so on. And he also lives a really long time, Right, Uh, 72, which is quite old for this period. Um, And when John dies in 1216, he leaves behind his son, uh, Henry III, and as the Barons Wars going on and it's a period of like real instability. And when upon John's death, William Marshall is named by the King's Council, so the chief barons who were loyal to John in the war to serve as the protector of nine year old Henry the and become regent. So despite the fact that he is, you know, around seventy at this point, he continues to fight Henry's cause he uh, leads the war against Prince Louis in France he continues to uh, fight against the barons and really defends Henry's interests I think he's just got a really interesting life so even though the Regency kind of makes up a the end of his life that really short period he's a really kind of fascinating character from a military perspective to look into and see how he survives all this changing uh, political dynamics throughout the 12th and 13th century
2: i'm pretty sure alina that james was banging on about him a lot when we were doing the greatest britain but
3: possibly yeah. But I love you very much, James, but I, I might not have been listening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, oh okay, uh tell us about t- tell us about Margaret of Orange and Henry the because I love this one. She she was a badass, wasn't she?
4: She was a really she's such an interesting character and I think she had had a bit of kind of um slack in a way because so often i remember looking at her at a levels and a lot of the textbooks we were kind of given were saying oh you know she's like a bad influence because she was um viewed as like this kind of foreign french woman who's coming over and she was trying to um implement french rule and she was trying to do this and so on and actually i think she's in a bit of a Bad situation to be honest. She's in a bit of a grind where she's got her poor husband who's obviously incapacitated. She's got her son she's trying to look after. And she's also got um, obviously all the nobility around her and the various factions causing um, chaos in the way because there's just no, they really need to kind of rule effectively in this period. And there's just a lot of factionalism going on as part of wars of the roses as well so in terms of um her regency and in terms of the regencies around henry vi so i think it's important to note that when henry vi and margaret's son is born in 1453 henry then suffers a complete breakdown at this point point. Um, And, you know, there's rumours going round that actually maybe it wasn't Henry's son and that Margaret had had an affair. See, I did
2: this at A-level and my teacher was very much like, I'm sorry, but she produced this baby and he was in a catatonic trance. It's highly unlikely that he would have been able.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So there is doubts around it, but then it's also one of those... Kind of things of we can't go back in time. Do we know how incapacitated he actually was? Was it more severe than what's reported? Or was, was there blown-
2: propaganda where they use it? Was Edward the fourth using it and like making it sound worse than it was?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I think Margaret's kind of attempts at rulership um, are really indicative of her trying to protect her son and her interests. And I think it's just a case of in this period, there's a lot of uh, instability, really. There's a lot of fighting for the Regency and for control.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
0: Right, I'm going to do my usual. So we've got one more to add to this list. Again,
3: you listed us off a long list of names. I've forgotten who it was. I know it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about this incredible woman.
4: Okay, so this is Isabeau of Bavaria. And she is wife of Charles VI of France, who is known for being... You know how they always give like epithets to mm. kings, don't they? He's Charles the Mad, so it's <laughs> so already got
2: a good start for him. <laughs>
4: no, so she, Charles the has kind of frequent episodes of psychosis, and it is from 1393 onwards that Isabeau really starts to take control of France because Charles is just so incapacitated and it's really from this point on that we start to see kind of factions to, um, being established at the royal court so they set up a regency council to kind of rule in Charles' stead which Isabeau presides over and the factions here is you've got Isabeau and Louis I who's the Duke of Orléans the king's brother um, who's alleged to be the queen's lover because you know there's always one of those that pops up isn't that? There? Well, <laughs> like, there's whatever. always
2: that accusation that pops up even if it's not true isn't there yeah
4: yeah it's a yeah. bit yeah. of
2: slut shaming
4: yeah and then you've got the other kind of ru- uh, predominant rulers in france so you've got philip the bold duke of burgundy who had also been a regent du- during charles's minority and you've got Charles's other uncles, Louis II of Naples, and John, Duke of Berry, and what happens is the factions kind of derive between the Queen's party and the Orleans and uh, the Burgundians, and it's really it does turn into a, quite a severe factional conflict and result- medieval East Enders, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. It then turned into the Armagnac-Burgundian Civil War, which lasts from about 1407 until 1435. So this goes beyond Charles's reign, and it's really just it. It leads to so many kind of issues because Charles' reign is really marked by the Hundred Years' War and. They kind of try and resolve this with lots of kind of marital alliances, and it results in the Treaty of Troyes in 1420, where Henry is then kind Henry V, sorry, of England, is named as Charles' successor, and all of this kind of losing the war against the English, this disinheritance of the Prince of France, really kind of leads to a lot of accusations against Isabeau for not managing to run France properly. So I think she's an interesting regent from...
2: Mm. I was going to say, how does she fare in all of this madness?
4: Yeah, so it's really kind of difficult for her. So in terms of she, as this kind of like period goes on, so from 1393 through until about 1420, her power does grow. then manages kind of assume a role of sole regent at some point, but she has to yield her position. As the civil war continues, it's really kind of putting on pressure with Isabeau in terms of um, how she's going to rule. And like we said, there's rumours circulating about her, about her lifestyle, about who then gets appointed as regent. So she is pushed out. One of the most famous accusations. Elizabeth, is that she was a poisoner and wife murderer so she apparently goes almost as mad as her husband but really how much of this is again kind of slander and propaganda because i'm not saying she made the wisest decisions as regent mm. but she definitely led quite an eventful life shall we say amongst trying to then rule for her husband, but ultimately seizing power for herself. I like her. <laughs> she sounds like a badass. <laughs> I you should get an episode done on her. See someone who can speak about Isabeau. And
2: because you probably... said she was of Bavaria, I picture her with like a tankard in each hand and like lady lederhosen and stuff
3: <laughs> it got me too wow but
2: <laughs> well, we are such amateurs with medieval history aren't we <laughs>
3: so, babe, we've got me with my
2: i once studied this for GC uh, a level and you with your uh there were some names and i've forgotten them And poor gabby's trying to like, educate us so tell us that we are not morons or total morons when it comes to eleanor of aquitaine so is this the most famous regent queen of the medieval period
4: definitely for England I think I would probably face a little bit of opposition from some of my medievalist colleagues if I said she was the most famous because I think some would probably argue that Blanche is more famous or Mm. kind of worthy of attention but as I kind of mentioned the last time I was on Eleanor Leeds such a long life and when she acts as regent so she rules England on behalf of her husband Henry II in the 1150s she also travels to their lands in continental France so she gets to rule Maine for a bit as well and she is also ruling Aquitaine which is her own duchy so that's not her acting as a regent there but just her acting as its duchess Um, which really kind of demonstrates this element of co-rulership between them but also the power balance like Henry quite clearly trusts Eleanor to be able to work effectively on his behalf whilst he's kind of dashing around all over the place trying to implement his rule and then you've also got Eleanor acting as a regent for her son Richard whilst he goes on crusade which I've mentioned a bit before so Richard doesn't formally appoint her as regent it's again quite difficult to establish the processes for nominating regents in this period and they do have kind of a council or appointed figures in government who assist Eleanor with ruling but it's really clear in the 1190s that she's still acting as a kick-ass queen to be honest she is still you know exercising all this power she's getting stuff done she raises the ransom for when richard's captured on crusade you know she's just cracking on with it really and in this period she is god in her 70s yeah so really just cracking on with stuff and then when richard dies in 1199 brother john comes to the throne and eleanor's still again employed as a regent she's still looking after the continental lands whilst John's trying to deal with his accession in England and then there's the wars in France and she still continues kind of getting involved in the rulership of the lands. Like I say, it's not particularly formalized, but it is very clear that she's there. She is acting as a regent. She is exercising a great deal of authority and showing how, you know, how important she is to the running of um, the onjubin domains i um, really
2: want to know though what so you, you've got lots of women ruling in very turbulent times why do you think so that all of your medievalist colleagues don't scream at you for being it, wrong why do you <laughs> think she was so successful
4: i think she's largely successful because she has this prior experience because of her longevity so she becomes duchess of aquitaine when she's 15 and she then becomes queen consort of france shortly after and although she wasn't largely involved in ruling france her experience in aquitaine in particular gives her like this wealth of um skills it gives her the experience which grows and grows as she becomes consort and dowager so i think Her success is kind of born from the fact she's able to rule from a young age. And she just lives so long because it gives her more opportunities. It gives her more chance to act effectively. And she was a good ruler. You know, she wasn't kind of, you know, spending loads of money. She might have incurred a bit of wrath from her enemies for uh, taking control of things but she had access to resources and it's quite clear that both her husband and their sons do trust her to be able to rule effectively so i've kind of got to point out this is at the detriment to her daughters-in-law
3: right you just mentioned the daughters-in-law how do they come into this
4: yes so as i've possibly mentioned the last time I was on so the two daughters-in-law which should have had some power here, uh, Berengaria of Navarre which is Richard's wife and Isabella of Angoulême who's John's wife and Berengaria has no previous experience of ruling and she doesn't appear to have been allowed any opportunities to do so due to Eleanor's dominance Yes,
0: yeah, so she's of... literally like sit
4: your ass down, mum's yeah. got this <laughs> Yeah, so You know, she might have had opportunities to rule. She could have been quite effective at it. But Eleanor's kind of experience here really um, just lead to her being picked time after time. And Berenguer and Richard, as we kind of know, don't have any children. So this isn't an avenue that Berenguer can kind of go down saying, oh, maybe I could become a regent mother or something instead. It's just completely shut off to her. And then with Isabella it's a bit clearer that she's not chosen because she's so young and then she has five kids in quick succession Um, but there were more opportunities where she could have ruled and upon John's death when this Regency Council formed with William Marshall, Isabella's not included from, uh, Isabella's excluded from this so there's a really kind of interesting chapter by Louise Wilkinson talking about why Isabella leaves England after exclusion and was this maternal abandonment and what's going on. But Berenger and Isabella, they're just not given these opportunities to act as regent. Their husbands just are so controlling. They just don't give them access to resources or the opportunities to really rule. So it is partially due to kind of Eleanor's success, Eleanor's experience with the region, which is why her daughters in law are pushed out a bit. But it's also due to the fact that Richard and John just don't wanna get their wives involved, to be honest.
2: <laughs> it's a sad indictment, isn't it? Because they're obviously <laughs> open to female leadership and like putting a woman in charge because they go with Eleanor, but they've obviously looked at their wives and thought, nah, screw that. Yeah, but For whatever reason. Pro-
4: Let's stick with mum on this one and we will just crack on a bit. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I really want to ask, so if,
2: I, if we were to say to you, you can now sell a region who no one's going to have heard of, but you just think someone should pay attention to, tell our listeners, who, who should they know
4: more about? I don't want to kind of focus on Western Europe in a way, because mm. that's like my go-to and I feel everyone should... I feel everyone should just know about Isabeau of Berrera in a way because she's so interesting. But
2: I feel what think answer would also... Eleanor Yanniger give us, being like slightly
4: more she she does Czech stuff, doesn't she, as well? I think of like a weird Asian one to be honest, like um whose name I'm gonna absolutely slaughter in a minute. Empress Xian, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um In the 19th century, she is a really kind of interesting figurehead to look at. So there we go. That's a non-European one. And Elizabeth of Bosnia. There we go. She's Queen Consort and Regent of Hungary and Croatia. And she's Queen Consort of Poland. There we go. That's three for one.
2: Oh, so how does that come about? Do you know much about her? We're taking you completely out of your comfort zone now, haven't we? (laughs)
4: Yeah. So she becomes Queen of Poland um, when her husband, Louis, uh, bec- funny enough, becomes King of Poland, which is in 1370. And then when Louis dies in 1382, their daughter, Mary, succeeds um, to the throne of Poland and Elizabeth begins to act as regent here. So she can't kind of manage this union of hungary and poland so elizabeth secures the polish throne for her youngest daughter who's called hedwig there we go weird harry potter reference in there
3: but in, <laughs> in polish it's Jadwiga, just just so you know oh, that. No, no
2: one cares sure. alina they all want the no, fluffy white bird <laughs> from harry potter
3: i, I do my, apologize it's... alina <laughs> no no do you know why it's it, it's my grandmother's name and um, we always used to laugh at her that it was Hedwig in English and Jadwiga in Polish. So it sounds, just a little tidbit. It sounds
2: better in Polish, to be fair.
4: <laughs> it does. It sounds a lot better than Hedwig, it? let's be honest. Uh, um, yeah, so there we go. We've got Elizabeth of Bosnia. So 1380s, um, trying to rule over Poland and Hungary and acting as a regent for her daughters. So there we go, quite a different turn of events rather than her son. She's acting as regent for her daughters.
3: We need her on pole position.
4: <laughs> yeah, we absolutely do.
2: That would be good.
3: Oh, You'll go. find us historically. No, no pressure,
2: Gabby, but you need to go away and become an expert in her now.
3: <laughs> exactly.
4: <laughs> I was going to say, like, um, Cassina, um, Cosio, she's done a couple for you. She, I don't know if that's necessarily quite in her
3: time frame or not, but... She could find us someone. I know she's, she's already done the hunt for us for medieval <laughs> historians. So we, we, Kasia, we love you.
4: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, no, I was going to say, and if you need people who like want to speak about child kingship and so on in this period, um, Emily Ward is fantastic at that, if you wanted to delve into other regencies and stuff a bit more. But, yeah, Poland is a little bit out of my reach, I'm afraid. It's a shame because it's all funky stuff, you know. I love listening to some of the other people you've had on here talking about bits of history I just don't know about.
2: And clearly you do know your bits fine because you're a doctor now.
3: Yes, congratulations.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, thanks so much for coming on to give us a bit of an overview on Regencies and medieval queens trying to boss it in a, a holy male world. Um, I like that there's a few of them out there
4: kicking against the grain. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, really different. Like I say, just looking at kind of Regent mothers and... Um, Queen Consorts who become regents It's really kind of fascinating to get that extra spin On how they rule so, yeah, More kick-ass queens Kick-ass queens all the way Well you've got loads
2: of time on your hands now You can write a book <laughs>
4: <laughs> You know what I came out of my Viber last week And we're kind of like publications I'm like yep, I've got four things I want to do I'll Work out which one of them to do first <laughs>
2: Isn't it always the way, I think I've got about six projects on the go at the moment and I'm just not achieving anything in any of them because of too thinly spread. Story first world
4: problems. Yeah, absolutely. We just get interested in so much stuff, don't we? We just end up down these rabbit holes and we're like, do you know what, no one's done that, I'll do it. And like, yeah. hang on, oh, no one's done this, right, do you know what, let's do it. And then before you know it, you're like, I have so much
2: nerdy rabbit holes is what we all do best awesome thank you Join us tomorrow when Rachel Lance will be with us to talk all about the mystery of the Hunley. This is brilliant. So this is one of the first submarines. It's American Civil War. And uh, we'll let her tell you the story. But basically, they found all of the guys still in there and dead without a mark on them. And she decided that in order to do her doctorate, she was going to blow stuff up and figure out what happened. It's a brilliant story, so don't miss that one. And then join us down the pub and we will be debating history's greatest ever love story Um, but this is Alina's one and uh, it should be funny because you know us we're not capable of doing sappy uh, so I'm sure it'll be entertaining don't miss that one us on either of those platforms Uh, marcus is currently working on some benefits for you so uh, there's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms we're revamping ourselves on both of them so don't forget to go in you can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up history hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,